Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH. We are streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. On this hour of the Jason Rancho, brought to you by American Water Damage Restoration. A Democrat governor is trying to just kind of get rid of your Second Amendment rights. Surprisingly, it's not Jay Inslee. Not yet. That is what's trending. What's trending? National. In what's arguably the most egregious, unconstitutional abuse that we have ever seen as it relates to the Second Amendment. The governor of New Mexico, Michelle Lujan Grisham, issued an emergency order suspending the right to carry firearms. And it's done for, quote unquote, at least a month. And this is in response to violence that is happening in her state because of Democrat policies. Now, of course, she's trying to play hero. She's all about playing hero. They usually are on the left when they're trying to take away rights. They think it makes it a little bit easier for them to get away with it. She goes, I expect that we're going to get legal challenges. And by the way, she's received legal challenges and they're going to win. But she said, look, I had to do something about all of this gun violence. And just recently, a, a truly horrific crime. An 11-year-old boy was shot and killed outside of a minor league baseball stadium. It happened just last week. And that apparently was the impetus for this most recent push, the, the most extreme on guns that she's ever engaged in. But looking at what happened last week, that wasn't the result of an accident. It wasn't the result of a good guy with a gun accidentally shooting this poor child. This was a targeted shooting where the kid happened to be in the car that was being targeted at the time. This was a drive-by shooting. Now, we don't yet have all the details of what occurred, but none of what was mentioned by this executive order, none of what was demanded of all of us would have prevented this in any way at all. If anything, we would now be more in danger in New Mexico if we gave up our Second Amendment rights. Because the bad guys are not giving up their rights. The bad guys aren't giving up their guns. And in many cases, they don't have any right to a gun. But they're getting them anyway indicating that they don't really care about any executive order. They don't care about any law. They care about destruction, chaos, carnage. And we should be in a position to protect ourselves from that should we choose to own a firearm. As tragic as that shooting was, her response does nothing. Does nothing. To ensure that that doesn't happen again. And shrouding herself in some sort of hero status doesn't change what she's doing. Which is she is exploiting the death of an 11-year-old boy to do what she's always wanted to do, which is to ban guns. She was just waiting for that perfect opportunity. And unfortunately, she sees a dead 11-year-old and the first thing that comes to her mind is, ooh, I can use this to go after guns. It's sick, it's twisted, it's radical thinking. And if she's allowed to get away with this, if in New Mexico this is allowed 
understand it's going to come to Washington State. It's going to happen all across the country in blue states. It's going to happen in Oregon, California, New York. It'll happen everywhere. This isn't merely going after some kinds of firearms. The quote-unquote scary-looking assault weapon style kind of, sort of, not really, but they don't know the difference, the people I'm talking to, kinds of guns. That's not what we're talking about. All guns, period. Open carry and concealed carry, period. And if it's allowed to happen there, it will spread. It's not Vegas. Bad policies spread. Now, my assumption has to be that it very obviously will get shot down. Pardon the pun. That's my expectation. When, I don't know. Because we have seen judges act more like politicians than judges. Now, if it were ever to get to the Supreme Court right now under the current makeup, very clearly, this is unconstitutional. And and frankly... I think it would be unanimous. I think it would have to be unanimous if even the liberal justices wanted to be seen as serious jurists. It was funny, thanks to the horrible, and I mean horrible, algorithm on X, which ensures now that you see people who you don't follow and the people you hate the most because you troll them the most ensures that you get their tweets more so than the people you actually want to hear from. I first got a Ted Lou tweet, and he's just the worst. And even he was saying, this is clearly unconstitutional. You can't do this. This is clearly wrong. I don't like guns. I want to move forward with responsible gun uh, restrictions. But this is obviously wrong. Then, with the same message, was David Hogg. From Florida, Stoneman Douglas. And by the way, when I say the same message, I mean literally copy and pasted. He co- he stole the tweet from Ted Lieu. Like It's the same wording. But when both of them are on the same page and saying, yeah, you can't do this. This is unconstitutional. It's telling you how obvious all of this is. Here's UNM law professor Joshua Kastenberg to KOB Television. It has uh, facts, you know, enough facts and data behind it to at least not have it dismissed outright in, in the courts. But I do suspect that there's a strong chance that if an attorney were to go and ask for an emergency appeal or an emergency stay, that it would be granted. Now, here's something that's also important to understand in this case. The county level, the sheriff, the city level, the police chief, In Albuquerque, or at least covering Albuquerque when we're talking about the county, they say, yeah, we're not enforcing this. (laughs) Nope, sorry. So it's toothless, at least there. You have the Second Amendment, um, the the other part of the equation, that's a fundamental right under the Constitution. Their argument will be, I, I have a Second Amendment right to possess these, I have a Second Amendment right to carry them from point A to point B, and I have a Second Amendment right to protect myself. And I don't have a criminal record, so this is an unconstitutional infringement on my rights. 100%. Now, they're not taking it for granted there that the judge, whomever is ultimately assigned to this, will do the right thing. And so you had over the weekend a pretty significant protest break out in downtown Albuquerque, where Supporters of gun rights 
many of whom maybe don't even own guns, although judging by some of the videos, they definitely all own guns and they were participating in their open carry rights. And they were doing this because they understand what's on the line. All we want to do is protect our families, our friends, our communities. I've gone on two combat tours with the Marine Corps and fought on the front lines. I've done 11 trips as an independent contractor. She thinks she has the right Take away my freedom to protect my community. I don't think so. This will not stand. We will not comply. How do they whistle like that? That's impressive. I, I can't I can't whistle. You're gonna hurt everybody's ears if you whistle into the mic. I don't understand. How do they do that? And sometimes when they put their fingers in their mouth, first of all, it's disgusting. When was the last time you washed your hands? But I don't even know I don't get how do they? They're more talented than you and me. At least at whistling. Well, everything for you, but I'm obviously yeah. I have whatever talent. you want to interpret. No, that's exactly how I want to interpret it. I said how I wanted to. Okay. <laughs> Push the button. What's trending? A Jason Rant exclusive. Another exclusive. Working upon a previous exclusive. Last week we brought you the story of an officer who reported himself to the Office of Police Accountability after he realized that a conversation that was supposed to be private caught him saying something that, if taken out of context, would make it sound like he is mocking the victim in a certain crime. Now, this is a crime that happened back in January, and it was widely covered locally. A officer was driving reportedly at 74 miles per hour, to get to a priority one phone call in the South Lake Union neighborhood of Seattle and in the process ended up hitting and killing a young girl, 26-year-old pedestrian. And it was tragic and it was an accident. Now, obviously, it doesn't take away from the tragedy it being an accident. That cop will never be an officer again. He's almost certainly going to be charged and he may even do some jail time. But as part of that, an officer named Dan Otterer, who happens to also be the vice president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild. He's the one who does the drug evaluation uh, analysis just to make sure that the driver, whether it was a cop or anyone else, wasn't under any kind of influence, either of a drug or impaired in any kind of way. So he goes ahead and does that. And he clears the officer. There didn't seem to be any impairment. Then he goes into his patrol car and he's driving presumably home. He's done. He's done for the night. But he picks up his cell phone and he makes a call to Officer Mike Solon, who's the president of Seattle Police Officers Guild, because this involves one of their members who they know is going to be in a lot of trouble. And in this call, he laughs. He makes a joke about the value of the victim. And he knew that if you didn't hear what he was responding to, it would come off really, 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 really poorly. Now, I have exclusively obtained and posted the body cam footage. It's now out there. I had it first, and then even I got it before SPD got it. They posted it on their blotter page. But I've got it up at twitter.com slash Jason Rants, and I want to play it for you, at least a portion of this that is pertinent. Which is only about, it's not even the full 30 seconds that we're about to play. I'm just doing that for context. The pertinent information is maybe 10 seconds, maybe 10 seconds. 
And that 10 seconds was leaked to anti-police media. Otherwise, no one would have ever found this particular clip if not for the complaint being leaked. And I've got all that information up at KTTH.com. But here's the context. Mike Solon and Dan Otterer were talking about lawyers for the city and what they might say, the craziness that they might engage in in order to not pay this family what they would be owed. Because that's, unfortunately, that's what happens, right? You've got lawyers who get together, even, by the way, in good faith, because that's their job. This is what they're supposed to do, saying, okay, how do we get out of what's the argument that we can make so that we don't have to pay a lot? That's the context in which some of the jokes occurred. But she is dead. (laughs) No, it's a regular person. Yeah. Yeah, just write a check. Just... Yeah, $11,000. She was 26 anyway. She had limited value. Now, even without the context, you can clearly tell he's responding to something, right? I mean, it's not like he's declaring the statement personally as one of his beliefs. He was obviously right to think that this out of context would sound awful. It sounds bad. It It sounds really bad. The laughing and the joke sounds awful. But the context of this matters. At least it matters to me. And I am okay with someone knowing the context, hearing the the audio, watching the video, and coming to their own position, whether or not they think it was okay for him to even joke in that way about the lawyers. That, I think, is fair game. But the problem is folks on the radical left who hate cops in and out of the media were going to use this without the context, I believe, in order to shame not just this officer, but the SPD at large. That's what I think the intent was. When I found out that this was leaked to Mike Carter, for example, at the Seattle Times or the content of the video was leaked, not the actual video. I knew immediately that's how he would frame it. Now, obviously, I don't know it for certain, but I look at his past writings with the Seattle Times. He does not like cops, and he frames stories against cops all the time. And so I wanted to do my own research, and I wanted to make sure that you had access to the context. Because obviously, you can't hear what's on the other line. You can't hear who he's talking to. Now, if you come out of that and say, still, I find this repulsive, okay, totally you're right to hold that position. I don't have that position. And as I'm, if I'm being totally upfront and, and honest, even if it was a joke, sorry, but that's how people in police, in prosecutor's office, in media sometimes talk about tragedies. It is a way to compartmentalize all of the trauma that they are witnessing every single day. And I've kind of made the joke before on this show of if if I wasn't so depressed by this, 
uh, I, I would start to cry or I start to laugh or if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry some version of that. And that's kind of how people talk. I've heard people in media refer to terrorist attacks with jokes because you just do at some point for some people. That's how they compartmentalize stuff. It's it's the truth. People can lie to you all they want. And I'm sure I have no doubt that the Seattle Times or the stranger, they're going to do that. Meanwhile, when you can't hear them, they're laughing about hoping Donald Trump dies or something like that. This is how people talk. Is it disturbing to hear? Yeah, it is. But that's not the case here. It's not the case here. He's clearly referring. He's clearly at least responding to what he said he was. And with that, I don't think it's as bad. It's still a bad look because that's the way that it's going to be framed. And who knows the true context of anything? Do they do any you know, research on their own people who are going to judge this? And ultimately, the people who hate cops are going to still hate cops. The people who defend cops are still going to defend cops. I'm just worried about those people in the middle who like, okay, you know what? I'm going to call out a bad cop. And I, I'm one of them. I'll call out a bad cop. But I also am not going to assume ACAB. I want to make sure that they have the context, and now they do. Now, if you want to watch that video, you can just text the keyword RANTS, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770. I'll send you a link to my blog. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. Over the weekend, I spent time diving into that very lengthy UW study that told us that it was safe to be in mass transit in the Pacific Northwest, despite the fact that 100% of the buses had meth in the air (laughs) and 97% of the surfaces had meth on it. When it came to fentanyl, it was a little bit less, 46% on the surface, 25% in the air. Part of that might have to be due to the fact that those two drugs are mixed together, potentially. Don't know. But this was a very limited scope study. That's how they disguised or described it. But it is disguised as something much more. Because based on some of the reporting, that was mostly press release reporting by local media. They focused on two sentences. Either they directly quoted it or they got the gist of it. And I pulled the two sentences. In general, levels of methamphetamine and fentanyl found on transit vehicles in this exposure assessment are unlikely to cause acute short-term physical health effects for the riding public who spend less time on transit than the operators. At the level seen in the study, there is no evidence of acute medical conditions resulting from passive exposure to fentanyl or methamphetamine. So in other words, it's safe to be around. They didn't give out even a carve-out. Just it's safe for everyone, I guess. Children, pregnant women... Elderly people who are cancer patients. I guess everything is is totally fine. And as I was reading the study, I kept that in mind. I was trying to find, okay, where are they making this statement? Where are the claims? Where's the actual proof in any of this that they can say that you're fine, given the circumstances of very specifically being on a bus that's sometimes poorly ventilated, being on light rail, which is definitely poorly ventilated, Where's the evidence? There is none. There's none of that in this study because the study did not test for that. They did not look at, they did not ask the question as to whether or not someone could suffer from some sort of acute short-term 
medical condition as a result of passive exposure to drug smoke. The study was exposure assessment, which is exactly what it sounds like. We're assessing how much smoke from drugs is either a staff member or a customer, a rider, exposed to. That's it. And yet the takeaway was that everything is safe. It's odd that they did not even study that and they're telling us everything is safe. And it leads me to believe even more that this was always intended. And I, in fairness, I went into this assuming that this was intended for PR purposes and political purposes. But this just backs up my belief. You had transit agencies that were dealing with angry staff and customers saying that they're not safe being on board these trains or buses with people openly smoking fentanyl. So the transit agency said, everything is safe, shut up, get back to work. Then the unions were like, no, we're not going to shut up. And so then the transit agency said, fine, we are going to get a study. And then the study comes back, backing up specifically what they said. And we're supposed to pretend that there's no conflict there, I guess. To me, there very clearly is a conflict. To me, that this is all about not just helping transit agencies, but also pushing this idea of harm reduction, normalizing drug use. And it's pretty disgusting that I think UW participated in that. Whether or not they did it willingly, knowingly, I don't know. But that's what this seems like. I also have this written up over at KTTH.com, including a link to the actual study if you want to read it. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. It, was, it wasn't long. I think the whole thing was 27 pages, so that wasn't actually that bad. I spent t- this morning going over a 200-something page litter study. Oh, my God. 1-800-465-8770. Text the keyword rants, and I'll send you a link. R-A-N-T-Z to 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, oof, activists are now saying... Simply using the term open-air drug markets is racist. Oh, and they don't exist anyway, huh? We're going to get into that. Don't forget, by the way, our friend and local tax expert Greg Nunn of Nunn Better Tax Resolution is growing and looking to hire tax specialists. If you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers and interested in a job, give Greg Nunn a call. 425-947-1967. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. A little bit of irony. I'm about to talk about a story in the Real Change newspaper, and the guy who wrote it is emailing me about wanting to get my take. I guess you'll find out in a moment. Real Change. Have you heard of that? Yeah. They're the guys that like stand on the corner and pass out the newspapers. And, and they're usually whatnot. homeless who are doing this, participating in this program. And Real Change is basically a homeless advocacy group. Uh, and program, and I think they do some decent work. You know, I, when I tell you I'm not interested, you don't have to come back a second time and, and, and try to even harder sell me on the newspaper. I'm, I'm, I don't want it. Is it online? Great. That's how I'll look at it. I know you don't make any money off of that, but I don't carry cash anyway. So they have what I think is, and we can go back and maybe check the the folder, but this might be the dumbest article I've ever read. I, I, I can't think of anything else that has 
been so stupid. And I say that not with respect, but I mean, I don't mean to be intentionally mean. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. This is just a nonsensical article. And it's nonsensical because as it attempts to downplay the drug crisis, we're being told that criticism of open-air drug dealing is somehow racist. And the, the extent that this argument travels to make that point is ludicrous. Now, the associate editor, Tobias Coughlin Bogue, I, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's the one who wrote this piece. And first, he starts off by claiming that Seattle doesn't actually have any open-air drug markets. Then why is he writing about it? Because people are, in his world, I guess, pretending that that's what we have. He just pretends they don't exist. He just calls it a, quote-unquote, sneering phrase. A phrase, he points out, is used by the media. Now... The first thing I thought of when I read this piece was, wow, I was literally just downtown and I was shocked at how much open air drug dealing there was. And when you have a whole bunch of people who are in the area who are homeless, who are addicted to drugs and they're there so that they can purchase drugs and then use right in front of the dealer. Yeah, that's an open air drug market. I've seen it many, many times, but I guess it's just a figment of my imagination. It is my bias and anti-homeless sentiment running rampant or something. I'm not entirely sure because much of the article just doesn't make any sense. Because the point of this piece is uh, effectively to offer some positive press coverage of illicit drug dealing and illicit drug use. That's how it comes off to me. The goal appears to be to try to convince us to legalize drug dealing and drug use and then shame people from criticizing a drug-addicted homeless population. Because he goes through these different examples of media coverage using the phrase open-air drug markets, but then decides to say that the term is only being used because it quote-unquote scares people. And his chief complaint with the use of the term open-air drug markets is that it is an insidious form of Orientalism. Excuse me? Yep. Let, let, me, let me read his, his explanation. He wrote in part, After reading enough of these pearl-clutching pieces, I can't see any other reason for the modifier's overuse. And how does it scare people in perhaps one of the most insidious ways possible by evoking in Orientalism, a Western way of stereotyping and exoticizing peoples and cultures of Asia, first described by literary critic Edward Said. Are we scared of Asian markets? Is that what he's is that the implication here? I, I think that's what he's insinuating. Okay. You do know that there are other marketplaces that are tied to different cultures, right? Apparently there is, yeah. Okay. So he said that 
If you were just to use the term drug market, it sounds like a Walgreens. But when you use the term open air drug market, it, quote, sounds sultry and foreign, like a bazaar. Okay. Open air drug market does not sound sultry. (laughs) It does not sound at all foreign. Sounds like an outdoor Walgreens. That's illicit. (laughs) Yeah. So he then says, funnily enough, a fear of the bazaar is something that features prominently in many Orientalist works by Western writers. Now, at that point, I legitimately asked myself, and I said this out loud, and I said, Jason Rance, sir, is this a parody? Did you just fall for something? Is this seriously? And then I argued with myself for a bit, and I decided I was a little bit hungry, so I had a strawberry, just one. And then I went back to reading. He basically says you shouldn't be concerned with open-air drug markets, which don't exist, by the way. And you shouldn't, I guess, believe that the city and the people around these open-air drug markets deserve better. Even though, by the way, they have a lot of, well, crime attached to it beyond just the illicit drug dealing, like, you know, murders and whatnot. That whole thing that closed down Third and Pine for a while. But don't Go clutching your pearls with your concern because it means you're actually criticizing Asian culture. I don't understand his I honestly have no clue what he's talking about. But then he decides to abandon the whole Orientalism almost as if he realized it wasn't going to connect, but he just wanted to throw it in there to sound like a faux academic, I guess, and said, quote, closer to home. The University of Washington's Amishin Toft, a professor of communications who studies media narratives around poverty and homelessness, sounds like a blast, has argued that by closely associating our homeless neighbors with dirtiness, drugs, and danger, the media attempts to brand them as social deviants, thereby excusing society itself for failing them. Toft does not quite call this orientalizing those neighbors, because uh, that would be stupid if he did. I, I added that commentary. But he does cite said in or said in arguing that our characterization of them is designed to other them. Oh, the whole othering thing. Um, the homeless are dirty. Did you know that? You know why they're dirty? Because they don't have consistent access to showers or plumbing. Their homelessness is often driven by their addiction. So, yes, they are a danger to themselves and to other people, and they should be viewed as dangerous. Homeless encampments see a disproportionate amount of gun violence in this city, in this county, in the state. Homelessness in most cases, though not all, but in most cases, is not due to, quote, society itself for failing them. No, granted, a crank professor at UW Bothell, by the way. He didn't throw that in there. I grant I grant you that he's making that claim, but some crank professor arguing that in a crank article doesn't mean it's true. And then he goes on to say, but besides being more than a little xenophobic, oh, shut up, describing these places where people suffering from substance use disorders, untreated mental health issues, and homelessness congregate, as open-air drug markets, does nothing to help audiences understand why those people are there in the first place. They So they are there. I thought they didn't exist. Oh, he just doesn't call them. Okay. 
They are there because they are poor. You're poor. Rude. Are you there? Uh, no. No. It's weird. Do you know any other poor people? <laughs> I do. Have you ever known low-income people in, in your life? Yes. Probably quite a few in Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I've known quite a few people who I, I think would be considered low-income. I don't know any of them who went to a, a, a an oriental uh, bazaar. A, a bazaar of an open-air drug market. He seems to be implying that because you're poor, you're going to become an addict. Are all poor people addicts? No. In fact, are all addicts even poor? No. No. What in the hell is he talking about? It's a great question. Have I read a single sentence in this story that makes any sense whatsoever? Not really. It kind of seems like they're in any particular order. One thought doesn't follow the next. No. I mean, it's in English. That's good. That's a great place to start. I only caught one spelling error. <laughs> well, you know, the editing is hard. Believe me. Just got done with no, the I'm book. aware of it's that. It's hard. Um, none of this makes any sense. But at the end of it, you realize what it is he's trying to do here, other than just confuse or befuddle. He then makes the argument that we should legalize drugs and I guess drug dealing because he says we need to have a private space for the homeless to purchase and use. You could have just said that from the beginning and saved us all this time of having to try to figure out what this Orientalism nonsense is. There are people who strive to connect everything to identity, especially when it's around either gender or race. Folks on the radical left see everything through that critical race theory lens, and they are taught, they are taught to see racism because they believe that racism infects every part of society, all of our institutions, our very way of life. And so when you have that viewpoint and you're taught that, if I tell you that radio is racist, well, you're going to be able to point and find literally anything. Well, why is there a white guy talking right now instead of black? Why is it great that the point. hosts are disproportionately white and male? You'll be able to do that immediately. If I tell you that this can of, what am I drinking? Talking rain is racist. Immediately you'll say, why is it a white cover? And what language, by the way, is the rain speaking? Why is it that we're always so Eurocentric or Americanizing things? You do understand that more people speak other languages than just the English. Like it just goes on and on and on and on. That's why when we read some of these things, we're like, what in God's name is this dude talking about? It's because he's been taught to try to make something up. I think he believes what he's, he's writing, right? I, I don't think that there is any nefarious intent in just trying to label people racist. I truly believe that this guy thinks it is racist. His feelings on this, however, are not fact. His ignorance on this issue doesn't mean we're supposed to take this guy seriously. The problem is, these are some of the people who have the ears of lawmakers. Real Change is a fringe crank organization. Why is it that they have anything to do with any announcement that sometimes gets made around homelessness at the city level? Why? They seem like legitimately unwell people. This is the screed of someone who, I won't be mean because he is emailing me and he might be listening. I was going to say crazy, 
but I won't. You didn't I'm, say it. I'm not going to say it. Didn't I know say you it. want me to, but I'm not going to. Oh, my God. This story will be up later this evening at KTTH.com. You can also just go to my Twitter feed where I send a, I posted a link so you can read this in its full glory. My God. But by the way, if any of you are Orientalists, stop listening. The show is not. I don't want any of you people listening. Not Asian people. The racists who Orientalize things. Is that the phrasing? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Do you think a single person has ever said the term Orientalism in their entire life who lives in Seattle and has looked at any of these open air drug markets? I'm going to say no. No, I still don't even know what it really is. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. You are listening to The Jason Rancho. Welcome back to The Jason Rancho. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you had an adequate weekend. Not every weekend needs to be great. Can I just can I go behind the scenes? How for was a your second? weekend? Can I go behind the scenes for a second? If you'd like, it's your show. So right next to me in the studio, where I'm seated, behind the board or one of the boards behind my monitor and etc., there is this rack of various equipment. I have no clue what it is. There's lots of lights buzzing and whatnot, and there's a problem. Okay, what's the temperature in the studio right now? 62? Yeah. I'm sweating. Now, should I be sweating in 62-degree weather? Probably not. No. You know why I am? Because this rack of equipment is just blowing a steady stream of warm air on me. I've got... It's like having a personal space heater in a room that's air-conditioned. And that's for grandparents or the one coworker who's always cold. No matter what, they're always like, I'm so cold. My feet are always cold. There's something wrong with you. You've got some bloodish. I thought you were trying to say there's something wrong with you. No, there's like nothing wrong with something. me. This is so annoying. So could you please tell someone? Yeah. Tell engineering that if they don't fix this, I'm going to tear out each and every one. And that might take us off the air. Hold on. Let me see. If I pull this button, what? Oh, crap. He pulled the button. I think. What? Did my, oh, my side, did that, you took did, yourself okay. off the air. My side still worked, but you took yourself off the okay, air. Okay, well, if your side worked and mine didn't, I'm never pulling that's that. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. But I'm going to start destroying some of this stuff that looks very expensive. If it doesn't stop pushing warm air at me, it's so hot. That's all. I'll go back to the show. So Gavin Newsom did an interview on Meet the Press over the weekend, and he, he mentioned how he would respond to an issue of filling Dianne Feinstein's seat, the senator from California, should she finally decide to step aside or, you know, God forbid she dies. She's, she's very old. She is very frail. It, it almost feels like an inevitability, which is just sad because she shouldn't be in that position. He would then have to appoint someone to take her position. Now, she, he doesn't want to do that because if that's the case, he's going to be forced into picking someone he doesn't want to pick. It would be Barbara Lee, a congresswoman from California, who is seen as the quote-unquote heir apparent to taking the seat. She's very influential, and she's black. And that's an important piece here. 
because Gavin Newsom, just like Joe Biden, when he picked Kamala Harris, when he said, oh, I'm going to pick a black woman to be my vice president, he's saying that of the senator. It's completely unfair to the Democrats that have worked their tail off. That primary is just a matter of months away. I I don't want to tip uh, the balance of that. But you're going to abide by it would be essentially a caretaker, an African-American woman. Uh, we hope we never have to make this decision, but I, I, I abide by what I've said very publicly on a consistent basis, yes. That's called tokenizing. It is offensive. And the heir apparent, Barbara Lee, came out on Twitter or X yesterday and called this out. Oh, my God, did she call this out. And good for her. She Her political views are wacky. She's very far to the left. I'm so glad she called this out, even though she stands to benefit. She wrote, I am troubled by the governor's remarks. The idea that a black woman should be appointed only as a caretaker to simply check a box is insulting to countless black women across the country who have carried the Democratic Party to victory election after election. There are currently no black women serving in the Senate. Since since 1789, there have only been two black woman senators who have served a total of 10 years. The perspective of black women in the U.S. Senate is sorely needed and needed for more than a few months. Governor Newsom knows this, which is why he made the pledge in the first place. If the governor intends to keep his promise and appoint a black woman to the Senate, the people of California deserve the best possible person for that job, not a token appointment. Black women deserve more than a participation trophy. We need a seat at the table. I'm glad. Now, in fairness, she called it out by still engaging in tokenism. But the way she called it out and calling out specifically the tokenism is, I think, incredibly important and a good next step towards pushing back against some of the nonsense identity politics. When you are saying I'm going to put a black person in this seat no matter what. You are saying you're choosing someone because of their skin color, which is doing a complete disservice to the individual. Because let's say the person who is perfect for this job happens to be a black woman. Well, no one would assume that based on the way that you talked about why you picked her. All they're going to say to themselves, particularly after the Kamala Harris disaster, is like, oh, you only picked her because she's a black woman. She's not even all that good. That's what they're going to assume. And that's not fair to someone who actually is deserving of that position. And please tell me why, if the most deserving person, the person who is the most qualified, happens to be an Asian man or a Latina, why shouldn't they get it? Why why shouldn't they get it if they're more qualified? What's the reason? Because you don't favor their identity more than somebody else's? Is that the world that we want to live in, in which we are judging people by identity? Not by whether or not they're qualified, not by merit. We're pushing that aside. That's where we want to go. Now, I understand why stupid people might want that, because if we're judging by merit, they might not ever get to that point. People who are talentless, partisan hacks, drinking game. But at the end of the day, at some point, my God, can we not just step back and say, Let's let's go back. You can talk about it, you know the importance of uh, you know having representation. Blah 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 blah. But can we at least maybe lead with someone who's the most qualified? Just even say the most qualified black woman. 
which also, by the way, is doing a disservice because then you're saying, oh, well, she's the most qualified black person, but she's not more qualified than that Asian or white or Latino or Native, whatever it is. It's just not a good. I don't think it's a good look. I think it's a bad look. Because if you told me that the only reason I got a job or was called on for whatever to fill an open position, please don't pick me. I don't want to serve was because I'm looking for a gay. Can someone get me a gay? Preferably a gay Jew. Are there any gay Jews? They're underrepresented, especially in Hollywood. Any, anyone, any, no. Oh no, that one. Okay. Yeah. Get him. No, I don't need to see a resume. The only thing I can get is his ID says gay and Jew. No, sir. What do you think? There's no, it's not on an ID. What does his Tinder profile say? Gay and Jew? Okay. 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 Fine. It's offensive. 1-800. Don't give me that look. It is offensive. You want me to do a version for you? Better say no. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, more of some tragic news from over the weekend. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.